This is an ABC podcast. Ah, the sounds of industry. Of earth movers. Of soil engineers cutting through a rolling pasture. It's progress. And the more they do this, the less bush flies will be at your barbecue. This is the sound, incidentally, of the inside of a cow pat. Yeah, cow poo. Hello, Anne Jones with you, and I promise we're not spending all of what the duck inside a cow pat. In fact, we're spending most of it on an idyllic-looking farm next to the Yass River. I visited the farm to talk dung beetles back in 2015 for my previous show called Off Track with the co-authors of a field guide you probably don't have, the introduced dung beetles of Australia. Jane Wright is a retired scientist with the CSIRO. The Dung Beetle Project started in the late 60s with the recognition by a scientist at CSIRO, his name was George Bornemissa, that there were all these dung pads and no beetles acting on it, the way he had observed in his native Hungary. And he convinced the then chief of the division, Doug Waterhouse, that this was an important thing to do. So the project got rolling and it was all about burying dung getting it off the surface of the paddocks because when it sits on the top it smothers the grass. The grass that grows around it is rank, the cattle don't like it. And in fact the graziers were having to drag harrows across the fields to break up these hard pads of dung. So that's how it all started. And so they went to various places but largely southern Africa to look for species that would be compatible with Australia's climate and so on. I never knew that we had had this CSIRO presence in South Africa and you were one of the people that actually worked there. Yes, I was. I was at the very end of it. I had just was just finishing my PhD. You can tell from my accent I'm Canadian, but I did my uh, PhD in the United States and I did it in biological control of insects. So I was looking for a job like that and what came up but a job with CSIRO to work on biological control of dung and dung breeding flies to be posted in South Africa. It was like a dream come true. And I actually got the job. So my first job was with CSIRO to go to South Africa to look at predatory insects that would go into cattle dung and feed on fly eggs and larvae. Anyway, so that went on for about three years and then the money stopped and life intervened and I took a detour through research management and then I retired and want to go back to dung beetles because I never really felt I'd finished what I wanted to do. And so here we are in a paddock and it has been just a marvellous journey. Jane Wright and I are standing in that paddock with Patrick Gleeson, a research technician with the CSIRO. He's got a concreter's trowel and he's flipping cow pats like he works at the pancake parlour. Well, it's a pile of about three litres of manure, dung, cow dung. Yep, three litres per poo. That the cow voids and it sort of splots on the ground. Splots is absolutely the technical term. Depending on the what the grass, how dry the grass is, it's a bit firmer if it's dry grass, a bit uh, sloppier if it's green grass. How many cow pats will one cow produce? About 12. 
12 a day? About 12 a day. That's and And of course, you know, little animals produce little pads and big animals produce big pads. And they're bigger in the morning too when they, yes. when they wake up. Yes. Cows, yeah. You can file that away for an awkward moment of silence at your next meeting. Cows do their biggest poo first thing in the morning. But what we're getting at here is just how much poo there is. Say, just roughly, 12 poos of 3 litres every day. That's 36 litres of crap per animal. Current estimates are about 28 million cows in Australia. So that adds up to... About 1 billion, 8 million litres of cow crap hitting the ground a day. So, given that it fouls the pasture, you can see why the dung beetle might have a place. So if we look a bit closer and start flicking around, we should just see them scattering into their tunnels as we turn over the dung. So what am I looking for? Oh, a little beetle. A little beetle. So <laughs> we might see his bum heading down yeah, the hole. Yeah, you might, you'll see of... his bum heading into the... Oh, there's one there. Bam. Oh, oh. There's another one. Wow. Just pick them up. Maybe so they're just small fulvers. Yeah, probably. So, so field identification is clearly a challenge. Oh yes, can be. But yeah. the thing is, once you get your eye in, get, once you yeah. get your eye in, um, it's it's actually um, and there are there are key things that you learn to look for um, with each one. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just fulvers. Yeah. 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 So what have we got here? Unitocellus fulvus. What can you tell me about this little guy? <laughs> um, it's one of the smaller ones. It's a little bit less to a little more than a centimetre long. It's light brown with sort of speckly bits on it. It doesn't have a prominent horn uh, in the males like other species do. It comes from Europe, including the Middle East and North Africa, um, and it's established well across Australia. You can see that they get along almost in human terms. It would almost be like those army crawls where you see yes. people go on their tummy and they're drawing yes. themselves with their forearms. Is that when he stops and he's... Is he Clean, actually... Cleaning his antenna. He's cleaning his yeah. antenna to sense where to go next. Yes. Yeah. So just yeah, like, it, like you see an ants cleaning their yeah. antenna, he's yeah. doing exactly the same behaviour. Yeah. Their silhouette is that classic beetle silhouette. Yeah. And some of our beetles are, to be quite honest, sort of boring looking. Harsh, but okay. They're, they're black and dull and not very exciting. But there are some beautiful ones. Um, and what really strikes a lot of people sometimes is the iridescent blue or green in some species and the horns on the males. Now, the horns on the males are all about sexual selection and, and getting the best females and getting the most females. And so big horns on dung beetles are pretty awesome. That's what she said. Oh, that one looks juicy. I'm talking about a cow patch, an extremely valuable resource to the dominant species in the farming ecosystem, including those species which are slightly less welcome. It provides a breeding medium for bushflies in the south and um, buffalo flies in the north. And these are, these are species that specifically lay eggs in cattle dung and then they breed through and they can go through remarkably fast, just a couple of weeks from egg to adult. And so a nice big fresh pad um, with good moisture content can produce thousands of flies. Oh my and, God. Yeah. 
it, it, it's, it's huge. The other thing that we have to always remember is that's a lot of nutrient. A lot of people go to the garden center and buy composted cow manure to put in their garden, and there's a good reason for that. So part of the value of getting the dung beetles working is it takes all that dung down into the soil where it's then available for the plants to grow from. How exactly do dung beetles do that? Well, basically the um, adult beetle, you know, they're flying around in the paddock and they'll find a, a reasonably fresh pad and they'll land on it and tunnel directly into it. As the male and the female, they hook up and they dig a tunnel. They pack that tunnel full of dung and depending on the species, they, they can be like a, a sausage length size, you know, just like a regular barbecue sausage, you know, quite thick. I love that unit of measurement. Depending on the size of the beetle, of course. And they lay an egg in one end, and that's all directly under the pad. Will they build just the one tunnel and do the one set of eggs per lifetime, or will they will they multiply mate? Oh, they do it again and again. Yeah. And each species have, has a different sort of strategy. Some species will make lots of tunnels and uh, multiple egg masses, and then they'll go on and make a, to the next fresh pad and do it again and do it again and do it again. And some of those species will go through several generations in a year. They develop fast, and so you can have a quick increase in population. But then we've got some other ones, which are often bigger beetles, and they produce many fewer eggs but they actually take care of them. And it will take the dung down and basically make a brood ball and take care of its offspring underground. So it's the other kind of life strategy. It's it put a lot of energy into a few offspring, taking care of them to ensure their survival. Whereas the other strategy is, you know, it's like scattergun. And, and there's a place for both in our dung beetle pasture ecosystem because they can kind of help balance each other out. Introducing anything into a system, whether that be an animal of the size of a buffalo or cattle right down to a dung beetle, has to have an effect though. What are the negatives about dung beetle releases? Okay. Um, as far as we can tell, there are none. But having said that, there is a very strict protocol. When we bring the beetles in, we bring them into quarantine. We make sure that they're clean that they don't have any mites or nematodes or whatever. We brought the eggs out of quarantine by basically sterilizing the surface so that only the clean egg came out. I also did a lot of research to show that there were no bad things in the eggs. So we go to a lot of trouble, even for something as safe as dung beetles are, because they only eat dung, they don't eat anything else. We still go to a lot of trouble to make sure we get it just right. So what about the native dung beetles, of which there are hundreds of species out there? Do these guys offer some sort of competition to those native beetles? Well, that was another reason why the beetles were selected that preferred cattle dung instead of marsupial dung, pelleted stuff, which is what our native ones have developed on. A few Australian species do transfer well to cattle dung, but very few. So it's unlikely then that these dung beetles, if we removed all cattle from this area, that these dung beetles would be able to survive? That's correct. They would fly and fly and fly to see if they could find some cattle somewhere else, but there'd, there'd be very little else they could do. Jesus, it's a bit heartbreaking. Searching for the perfect shit and never, ever finding it. Perish the thought. 
With perfect timing for What the Duck, the farmer who owns this land joins us out in the paddock. This place, Jeremy Wilson explains, is biodynamic. So we, we don't use any poisons, so we cultivate as beetles as best we can. <laughs> so how much do you actually notice the dung beetles? Oh, lots, lots. Um, very active, I guess. We started looking at them uh, back in about 92, just after we first came, and uh, children were starting to do work on things at school, and so we went and uh, took cow pats and put them into the fridge to cool down and then put them into buckets of water to float off the uh, sleepy beetles so they wouldn't <laughs> too sleepy to fly away. And that was, that was fascinating, but certainly the numbers have increased dramatically. What do you put that down to? I'm sure that not using chemicals on the farm at all, that uh, it provides a much better basis for them. Other people do get them, but then they use uh, a lot of very unfriendly drenches in, in their animals, which uh, are just completely, completely destroy the growth of these things. Now, on the fly control aspect, from a farmer's perspective, why don't you want flies around? <laughs> I want to use my hands for something other than swatting the blasted things. <laughs> no, they're a great nuisance for the cattle. You'll see them flapping their ears constantly. Um, occasionally uh, we wind up, and certainly a lot of other producers wind up with a problem with what's called pink eye. It's a biological infection in the eye which causes the cattle a tremendous amount of distress. Um, we we cure that by squirting cod liver oil into their eyes, which is pretty, uh, pretty disgusting smells, but um, it works. But uh, it, it causes the cattle a lot of problems, and flies certainly spread it in some seasons. Right, so the flies essentially coming at the animals for moisture. Yes, exactly right. But it's also protein. They, um, they, they need protein from the animal secretions, the females do, to mature their eggs. And some research done by a scientist at CSRO called Marina Tindalbisco showed that when flies develop in poor quality dung, they come out very small and they're very hungry. Whereas a big fly, the female already has enough nutrient to actually produce a few eggs. But little flies have to eat and eat and eat and they are the peskiest. The bush flies are the little ones because they're so desperate to get protein to develop the eggs. Talked about horns before. You hold that chain, please. Yeah, sure. This is called Ontophagus taurus, and you can see why it's called taurus, as in <gasps> cow, bull. It's got these very large curved horns. <gasps> wow! They're curved backwards they're like the one that you see those utes have. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, like the. Uh, yep. Yeah. It's slippery. They're very slippery and very active on a hot day like today. It's fantastic because we do, we're looking for soil improvement uh, in those seasons when it's moist. But here we have a soil improvement when the soil is really dry. These little blighters are taking, taking the dung down and uh, keeping it open and uh, working. Oh, that's fantastic, isn't it? Ooh. Wait, we're being, we're being called over. Well, well, I'd broken this pad open and the dung beetles are flying into it. Um, I've collected quite a few now just waiting and they're, uh, so if we just watch for a sec, you'll see they're gonna kind of, they are flying in. It's absolutely fabulous. So what are they attracted to? Is it the moisture? The smell. The smell. The smell. They can smell it. Really? Oh yes. It's, it's food. They, they basically come in 
um, to fresh pads because that gives them the longest amount of time to bury it before it starts getting too dry and hard. Also, it's first in best dressed because when there are a lot of dung beetles around, there's huge competition for the pads. So they want to get straight in right away, get busy, and get as much dung as they can for themselves and their offspring. And to give you an idea of the competition, this is what sound you get when you put a very, very strong microphone right up close to an open cow pad. There's also a yelling cocky in the background, ignore that. It might sound like rain, but it's actually hundreds of dung beetles digging for their lives. Now, I actually dragged some very special microphones out of the storage rooms of the ABC for this story. I was really trying to think about how you could hear what the dung beetles actually sound like. So the first test is a hydrophone, an underwater microphone. This one is a smallish bullet-shaped one. It's got a long cord and it's designed to drop off jetties and boats and listen to what's going on underwater. I didn't tell the sound engineers I was going to put it directly into a cow pad. That's tens, possibly between 100 and 200 small dung beetles pushing the material of the cow pad around, moving, burying, mating, and generally getting on with things. They seem remarkably industrious. And then the other thing I wondered was if I could construct a drum for the dung beetles to walk over so you could hear the rhythm of their movement. So I put a plastic film over a container and taped a sensitive strip microphone to that. As we place a beetle on the surface, you can hear the texture of the legs. They're spiky, almost hairy, and it's a commando crawl as the beetle moves along. This one, by the way, is Geotrupus spiniger. It's about two centimetres long, glassy, black, with a little bit of blue underneath. It's native to Europe, even occurring through the Middle East through to the Pakistani border, and also established here in Australia in Tasmania, Victoria, and parts of New South Wales. There it goes. And it's not alone. There are 23 established species of introduced dung beetles active in pastoral areas across Australia. Some like the weather in the north, some like the weather in the south, and all of them hibernate at some point. So why bother releasing new species into Australia? Jane Wright. What we identified was there was this major gap in late winter and early spring when there were no dung beetles present. And that's a time when the grass is really growing yeah. and the cattle are, you know, really munching and there's a lot of dung. And we're wasting all that nutrient if it's not going into the soil. So that's the one side. And the second part of it is that that's also the time of year when the bushflies are reintroduced to the south on the weather because they die out here in the south um, every winter. And so it means that if we've got dung beetles active already, when the flies arrive, then we don't get let them have such a, a, a free run. To keep them alive and breed up a population for release, you have to feed them on something. And of course, dung beetles eat cow dung 
and it needs to be collected from farms like the one we're standing on. And Patrick Gleeson describes the process of collecting and making brood balls to breed dung beetles. It's skilled because we've got, to, we've got to make sure it's fresh. We don't want anything that's been on the ground too long, which may have maggots, fly maggots in it or other rubbish or dirt or stuff that's been kicked into it from the cows or whatever. But basically it's just you get a little trowel and a dustpan and we have a trolley and we have a rubbish bin, plastic rubbish bin on the trolley and we trundle through the paddock where the cows are because that's usually where the freshest pads are or where, we, where the cows have slept the night before. So we just trundle through the paddocks with our little trolleys and we just load up. When we see a pad, we bend down and slide it onto our tray. And we get very good at knowing how old a pad is. So you go along and you tap it. No, that's too old. No, that'll be right. Yeah, scrape, scrape, scrape into the bucket. And then, of course, when we get back, we then mix it with, um, you know, those paint stirs on the uh, electric drill. On electric drill. <laughs> I would call that process a cow patagino. Well, I suppose. (laughs) So we mix it all up really well and then we would package it up into either takeaway, one litre takeaway containers or into bags that we then packed into boxes and then they all went into the freezer. We freeze it in a big minus 20 shipping container for a while to kill anything that might have come in like maggots or other beetles and things like that and then we'd thaw that out and then we put it into a fruit press. We stick it into a... uh, pillowcase just so all that doesn't go everywhere and we put it into a fruit press like you know you're squeezing grapes or apples or something to make juice remember he's talking about cow turds here not plums or something and squeeze it right down and that gets rid of a lot of the excess moisture and that sort of makes the moisture content a sort of a very similar to what the female beetle would produce for, for her brood after that it was all about fashioning it into little balls and so we'd sit around all together, the, the team, and we'd be gloves on and rolling balls for an afternoon, poking a little hole with the end of a pencil on the top, which is about the right size to place an egg when we bring the eggs out of quarantine. How big were the little balls? Well, for Anthophagus vaca, which is a small species, which is you know, five to seven millimetres long, they were probably half the size of a, a golf ball, I suppose. Sort of like the rum balls you might have at Christmas, except made out of cash. And then with Bubis bubalis, which is a, a lot bigger, that's a, a two centimetre beetle or so, um, they were more like a, somewhere between a tennis ball and a cricket ball. Oh, wow. So a reasonable amount of, of dung. So I'm imagining sort of like a, a tray that's full of balls and you've poked the little hole with your pencil and you've put one of the eggs inside yep. each ball. Yep. What do you do next? Often we just let them be like that and we put them into our controlled temperature rooms and watched the eggs hatch and then we were sure that the egg had survived the egg sterilization process out of quarantine so we knew it was it was viable and so we'd watch it the little larvae little tiny little thing and start feeding on the dung and then when once we worked out that they were feeding we'd just gently close over the pinch the top of the, the little hole that we put in the dung over and then just let them be and hopefully we saw an adult beetle come out the other end and did you Yes, of course. Yeah, lots. <laughs> so what's the physical process of actually releasing the beetles? Well, if you've got adult beetles in a box, just like I have here from the some I've collected today, it's just a matter of going to a, a fresh pad and tipping out the box. And you <laughs> so see, gloriously simple. Yeah, gloriously simple. The, the dung beetles will just go straight into the dung and bury themselves. And you, and you go, well, see you later. That's, that's as simple as that, but in our case, we 
had to release um, juvenile stages, so larval stages, still in their, their brood balls or brood masses. And so that involved um, digging a trench. Um, we dug it you know, about 30 centimetres, 40 centimetres deep. And we had to be very careful about, you know, making sure the trench drained well. We didn't want to drown the beetles if there was big rains or something like that. And then we put the the broods in the bottom of the trench, and then just just fill the trench in, and hope for the best. So so so, so when the beetles were, were ready to, you know, when they themselves think they've developed fully, they think that they've the soil moisture is correct, the temperature is right, they, they'll hopefully emerge all by themselves. And thus begins another year of saving the world from billions of litres of cow crap and the trillions of flies that lay eggs in it. What the Duck is produced by me, Anne Jones, with Patria Ladgrove, and this episode was re-edited from a story made a few years ago now for Off Track. And does anyone actually know how to disinfect microphones? You heard the voices of Jane Wright, Patrick Gleeson and Jeremy Wilson, and you can find the field guide to introduce dung beetles in Australia via CSIRO Publishing. It's wonderful being retired. Well, I don't know that you ever actually retire from being a scientist, do you? Well, no, you don't. You don't retire, and and you definitely do it more for love than money. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.